Sermon on the Mount by way of reminder. The crowd went up on the mountain. Jesus, Rabbi, in imitation of what he had already done, about 1,400 years before, except then it was Mount Sinai. This is now a mountain in Galilee. The people, in the case in Sinai, Moses went up to him. In this case, the people went up to him and heard what he had to say. And seeing the multitudes... What do we know from other passages of Scripture that was Jesus' typical response when seeing the multitudes? His heart would be moved. Because he would see their need. Better than they saw their need. Many of them were there simply out of curiosity. They needed to be more than curious. They needed to be desperate. They needed to, as we will see in today's lesson, they needed to be hungry and they needed to be thirsty. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples, those who were interested in learning, that's all that word means. We've refashioned the impact of that word in 19th and 20th and 21st century English to be somebody is really committed. No, it just meant learner. It just meant learner. His disciples, those who were interested, perhaps just curious, many of them desperately seeking more. They came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, one of the great promises of that kingdom to come, found in the Hebrew scriptures, is we will all be taught of God. <laughs> the creator of all things the one off of whose fingertips, to project a human image on him, the creation fell. The one who, of whom it says again in the Hebrew Scriptures, the creation fits between the, in the span of his hand, between the tip of his little finger and the tip of his thumb. Creation. Will teach us. The God who is who is the creator, the God of gods, will be with us and disclose himself to us. He abides with the lowly. What did it say in Psalm 138? He comes to the lowly. Not the proud. The angels announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. They got a heavenly choir. 
the angels didn't go to just down the road to Jerusalem. And that Jerusalem's not far from Bethlehem. Did they go to the high priest? No. They go to the Pharisees. They ha- did they go to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council? No. They went to the lowly. That's where God had sent them. And then what could even in the Jewish mind be considered more lowly, though they were brilliant, wealthy men, but they were Gentiles, the Magi, over in the Mesopotamian Valley, between the Tigris and Euphrates, that came two years later and said, we've seen the star. That was news to them. They came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let me read that again. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those who heart, whose heart is undiluted by a, another agenda other than seeking God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for their desire will be fulfilled. They will see God. Let me give you an illustration. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I grew up in, uh, did half my growing up in Rochester, New York. We lived in a, in a little, uh, in a suburb of Rochester called Arundaquite. And right, we lived on Medfield Drive. Right behind us was Deerfield Drive. Do you know who lived on Deerfield Drive? Cot Deal. What? Cot Deal was the star pitcher for the Rochester Red Wings baseball team. He was a big deal. No pun intended. (laughs) If you could have Cot Deal come to your picnic, people wanted to be there. Now, you've never heard of him. But to us, he was really significant, important. And he was just, I mean, I could be from my back door to his front porch in about a 90 seconds. Big, big thing. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We will be with the creator of a, please, you, Ed Naj, you're going to be sitting at the table with God the Son, 
God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That's going to happen. You know what actually happens now? We just had a testimony of a brother whom God woke up at 2 a.m., <laughs> sent out to his front porch, and he had now, he didn't have an encounter. The two guys that came and talked to him weren't God. But who was the unseen presence in that conversation? Now, he couldn't see him with his eyeballs, eyes, but did he know God was present? He knew God was present. God had made this happen. Think about that, folks. God sent his son to the lowly. And he uses the lowly. And those who are born in wealthy or privileged circumstances, before he uses them, he humbles them so they are useful. They have to become lowly so they're useful. We get to be in his presence. Dorothy gave a testimony of the comfort that is genuine in her. That doesn't just come from reading words. That comes because the God who penned the words is present making the words powerful in her life. It's not just words, it's the presence of the God of the words that strengthened her and is strengthening her. He is with us. What does Jesus say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. And behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age, with us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who resolve issues, especially where there is conflict between people and God. When we Walk, help to walk people through in the power of God's Holy Spirit through the process of coming to peace with God. Guess whose work we're walking in imitation, pale, 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 imitation of? Jesus himself. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Can we say Jesus? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I will walk that person into, into abundance. It was a difficult path, but I walk, will walk them into an abundance they couldn't even get their minds or hearts wrapped around. If I were to describe, and God has described it, you know, we just don't, we just plain don't have the frame of reference to understand everything t God tells us about heaven. And even about what a powerful relationship with him here is about. The human language is just plain inadequate, mainly because we have such a po poverty-stricken experience. 
Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you like to have a measure of what Isaiah will get, who was stuffed in a hollow log and sawn in two by wonderful King Manasseh? That was sarcasm. I'll take what Moses qualified himself to receive, who was rejected and rejected and rebelled against and rebelled against and rebelled against. What we're focusing on today is the hinge in these Beatitudes. Verses 3, 4, and 5, which we've already looked at, tell us how to step into and benefit in the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to understand that you've got nothing to bring to the table. Nothing. You're coming to receive. We had a testimony a moment ago about CSI. This is a ministry meant to help people that don't have they need to be provided for. Well, we all, in the, in the face of what heaven requires, we all don't have. And so we come as empty with empty pockets, empty bank accounts, no list of performance. We come poverty-stricken, and we receive the kingdom of heaven. We receive everything heaven can boast of. Those who come thinking they have what it takes to qualify, don't. That's delusional. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because as we are going through the process and we recognize the holiness of God and our not holiness, mourning is a natural process. Oh, Lord, how can you forgive me? as the one thief, after both of the thieves had been attacking Jesus, one of them repented and said to the other, we need to just shut up. We deserve what we're getting. What a huge statement that is. I deserve the crucifixion I'm experiencing. Folks, I don't, we don't know what those guys did. What a huge admission. And then he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I do know who you are. You know what, folks? The human race knows who Jesus is. They know who the creator God is. We're told in Romans chapter 1 that sinners suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They hold it behind their back and they try to keep pushing it, they keep turning their back to the truth. They keep, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them. It is, the creation is screaming at them. But they're suppressing it because they, they know where it will lead them. 
on the moral issues, and they don't want to be rebuked. They don't want to abandon their sins. And so when somebody says, I'm an atheist, he's telling you a bald-faced lie. And you can say that to him. You have my permission. You can tell them, no, you're not. You're lying. Now let's get to the truth. That's pretty blunt. Yeah. But it's the truth. Blessed are the meek. Those who come demanding nothing. They will inherit the earth. God fills the hand that's empty. Not the one that's got a legal proposition before God telling God why he needs to give them what they think they need or deserve. No, 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 no. God fills the hand of those who know who know they deserve nothing. And now we come to this hinge beatitude because it has he has addressed the issue of how we step into the kingdom. And now he begins to address how does it, what does it look like to be in the kingdom? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let me ask you a question. When you, the day, you authentically came to faith in Christ, I can tell you something happened immediately. Your conscience became so tender, you could hardly stand yourself. You had such an incredible understanding of holiness that it scared you to death and it absolutely caused you to mourn. Lord, I am so vile and I can't get away from it. It's like a tar baby. I can't pull away from That is every single authentic Christian's experience. Blessed are those who hung, and the one thing you don't know you don't have is righteousness. Now you know you received the gift of Jesus' righteousness. You know that your sins have been paid for. You know that you have a free ticket to heaven. You know that if you were to die at that moment, you would be welcomed by God. But you feel like, yeah, but he's going to be holding his nose. And he's going to kind of add, oh, oh, ah, Now what I'm telling you is what Satan tells you. Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Actually, God's got a gigantic grin on his face. He, he has his arms wide open. We just, Dorothy's testimony about her dad. What does she know about her dad? He received an unrestrained, fabulous, outrageous, wonderful welcome from God. Why? Because that's what God does. God made it happen by sending his son who paid the penalty for her dad on the cross. And so her dad has a free ticket to heaven. He's got a gigantic welcome. And so it is with everyone. That's the gospel promise. But what does the accuser of the brethren do? You piece of garbage. You know, when, I'm going to tell you what Satan said to me. That John 3.16, you know when Jesus said John 3.16, that was really a big mistake. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you're one of the whosoevers and oh, 
you're one of the trash fish that came in the net. They were really after this kind of fish, but if they also get trash fish. This is what Satan said to me. I'm telling you. And I wanted righteousness so bad. I wanted to be at God's table. And God be happy about it. Now, folks, that is a good motivation. Now, the stuff that comes from Lucifer, we need to understand that's not from God. And that's why I was set free when I was in, when God said, set me up for that Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 5, the most important passage in the whole Bible. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, dressed in filthy garments. High priests aren't supposed to wear filthy garments before God, and the angel of the Lord is God. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord, said to Satan, Satan, I rebuke you. I who have chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And he commanded the attending angels to take the filthy garments off of him, clothe him in party clothes. And then Zechariah chimed in and said, let them set the turban on his head, which is the, pre the priestly turban that says holy to the Lord on it. So here he has this unrestrained welcome with God. When God disclosed that to me that was the that was the single most important sermon I ever heard in my entire life before or since but I still hungered for righteousness we want to do it better we want to be more like Jesus we want to have control and what does it say? Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. I'm so glad I'm behind this pulpit and you can't, your eyes aren't dropping down to see my belly. Because you would drop your eyes. I don't think that Mark's ever really been hungry. Jesus and his audience are living in an environment where hunger was an everyday experience. Most of these people barely made it through each day. They hungered. And they, by the way, Palestine, where they're living, is very much like the Texas Hill Country. Now, we had a gigantic rainstorm this morning we've had unusual rain but there's not a lot of water in that part of the country hungering and thirsting hungering and thirsting so that you want it so desperately you will do anything I read an account just yesterday in preparation for this during World War One. there were some British Australian and New Zealand troops that were moving through Palestine, attacking the Turks, running them off. And they outdistanced their camel train that was carrying the water. They were moving so fast, the camel train just couldn't keep up. And they got thirsty. 
they had some men that were so thirsty they dropped out. They were never seen again. And when they finally got to a town where they could get, and they were just, they had to defeat the Turks to get into that town, and they did. Those who were on the verge of death went for, and it was a four, there were a lot of soldiers. It was a four-hour process. There were men that fainted. Their tongues were swelling in their mouths in desperation. That's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I want to get this walking with God business right. They will be filled. God hasn't caused, called us to frustration. He has not called us to defeat. He has called us to his table. But the places at the table are for those who are most desperate in their hunger and their thirst. He discloses himself to those who really want him. Unfortunately, and I don't know, it's my only experience, but certainly in the American church, there's a whole lot of half-hearted commitment and discipleship. People who are willing to be disciples as long as it does not cost them too much and is not too inconvenient. I'm sorry. Jesus just isn't real eager to put a plate full in front of you. He will show you how to walk with him when you really are willing. You're not willing to do anything else. Lord, it's you or nothing. I don't want to settle for second best. I don't want to settle for just surviving. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a righteous. I want to, man, I want to be making decisions that are the same sort of decisions that Jesus would make such that I really will be like him. And he has supplied to us, the instant you came to faith in Christ, God the Holy Spirit took up residence within you. He hasn't called you at frustration. Now, it's frustration that sets you up with the desire. But he hasn't called you to frustration and failure. He has called you to success that you might actually start resembling the Savior. If you hunger, you won't settle for something else other than what Jesus puts on your plate. And you thirst for only that beverage that he would put in your goblet. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, getting it truly right, he satisfies you. He will instruct you, supply you,
with whatever is needed to make that happen. And we had a couple testimonies just this morning of people experiencing that sort of, they didn't think of it in these terms, but now they can. Now they can. We had a, can we call that a woman at the well type meeting <laughs> that took place at 2 o'clock this morning? Can we call that with Dorothy's experience? Jesus, Martha, Martha. Just like John chapter 11, the sisters of Lazarus. Walk with me. Believe me. That's what he calls us to. It's not complicated. If you hunger and thirst for it, he will walk you into it. And you will become an imitator of Jesus. And I want to, this is a quote from a fellow who went to be with our Lord about 25 years ago by the name of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in commenting on this statement. If we want to be truly happy and blessed, we must hunger and thirst for righteousness. We must not put blessedness or happiness or experience in the... Don't hunger for blessedness. Don't hunger for happiness. Hunger for righteousness. And then the blessedness comes as a tag-along, as a dessert, not the main course. Don't settle for less. The road to blessedness, happiness, fulfillment, joy is the righteousness road. Lord Jesus Christ, we asked, we sang this prayer. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. And you filled our cup. You told us truth. Just as it says in this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, I will satisfy their hunger, I will satisfy their thirst. We held up an empty cup and said, Lord, would you place in it the beverage that we need that we can step into righteousness. And you did that today. We ask that you would enable us, strengthen us to walk in what you said, to trust you to do what you promised. We ask this of you, King Jesus. And all God's people said,